that's my encouragement to you. Be the light of the world. Be what you actually are. And don't let it be covered by any sort of worldliness, any sort of sinfulness. Work hard to put those things away. And then the last really where this both, I believe both these metaphors come to their fruition. He stays with, Jesus stays with the illustration of light, but I think it, it sums up both of the metaphors. Kingdom citizens are to do good works. And first here, good works equals shining the light. And I would say good works also equal tastefulness of the food. They're the salt. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. It's both challenging and encouraging to know that in every place where we are salty, that we are performing the actions that only we as believers can distinctively do. And as that taste of Christ is given, people will be given the opportunity to enter the kingdom and to recover from, to overcome the sin and death and hell that they are dominated by. Well, let's turn to the next metaphor. So the first one is that we are the salt of the earth, the true believers are to be distinctively Christ-like in everything they say and do. And the second metaphor really just reinforces the first, and he's going to end with that metaphor in verse 16 by making a specific application. So kingdom citizens are light of the world, are the light of the world. That's the next thing he says. You are, again, present, active in an ongoing way. Every true believer is salt and is light. We are to live according to what we have become when we enter into the kingdom. And light... Is, I mean, it's a metaphor that's used throughout Scripture. We don't have time to get into the whole theology of light, but let me give you a quote from D.A. Carson, which kind of summarizes it. Light in the Old Testament and New Testament most frequently symbolizes purity as opposed to filth, truth or knowledge as opposed to error or ignorance, and divine revelation and presence as opposed to reprobation and abandonment by God. Light is the bringing of illumination through the revelation of God's will for his people in the person of of Christ. That's light, ultimately. And we, as members of the kingdom, have become that light. Well, we've become that light because God is light. First, John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So God is light. Perfection, no error, truth, right? The fullness of his character and nature in its perfection. But then Jesus is the light that brings the truth, the character and nature of God and his message into the world. So God is light and Jesus is light. John 1, 9. There was a true light 
which coming into the world enlightens every man. And there's the metaphor. When Jesus came, he shone the truth and the character and nature of God on everyone. Enlightens every man doesn't mean that every man came to Christ. Every man became a believer. It means that wherever Jesus was, he shone the light of the truth of who God is in its perfection. Guys, that's the challenge that we as believers have been given. It says you are the light of the world. And we'll see how that is in just a moment. God is light. Christ is the true light that comes into the world and enlightens every man. And then we are to take that light and shed it abroad now that Christ has returned to the Father. And so, so how is this? Truly, the light does not originate from believers. It comes from God, and it comes through Christ, and it comes in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But there's one, I'd like to give two illustrations, one a negative one and one a positive one. Sometimes we use the illustration of the moon to be that we are like a reflection of the light of God. There's only one problem with that illustration. The moon is dead and lifeless. All of a sudden, the light just bounces off the moon, and you know, we see this kind of pale glow. I think that's a bad illustration of Christians. Because we aren't just kind of this, this inert object of which light bounces off of. We ourselves being dead. No, the light actually comes out of us. Now, it's not our light, please. But yet it becomes part of us. It has become part of who we are because the Spirit of God is not just, God doesn't just shine on us from outside and bounce the light off. He comes inside so that the light shines out. Light is who we now are in Christ. The work of God and the Spirit of God in our own inner man flowing out then his power, his work flowing through us. So the better illustration, I think, is a light bulb. The electric bulb does not emit light all by itself. It imparts light only when it's connected and turned on so that the electric current generated in the powerhouse is transmitted to the bulb. So also as long as Christ's followers are in living contact with the original light, they are light to others. And for true believers, that's always. Always the Spirit of God lives within us, flowing out through us. This is probably best summarized in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. It says, For we do not, 4, 5, and 6, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That's the light of the proclamation we make. Well, why do we do that? It says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's brought by the Spirit of God as it illumines to us God's truth, comes to live inside of us, and then shines that truth, shines that power, shines those words and actions and motivations that are Christ-like out through us. Because that's who you are. You are the light of the world. You are the one who radiates the character and nature of Christ because he's come to live inside of you. So it isn't like you simply reflect the light of Christ. You have become that light as he is inside of you. And it is your responsibility to continue to shine. You are this light. Well, what do the metaphors mean then? First metaphor that he uses, he says this back in the text. He says, you are the light of the world, verse 14. And then he explains it with a couple additional metaphors. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I think this speaks to the nature of light in that it will be seen. You know what this means. When you go into a cave and they shut off all the lights, there is no light anywhere penetrating from outside. Darkness is an absence of light in in that sense. And so if you put your hand up to your face, what do you see? Nothing. There's no light. But it doesn't matter how small of a light you turn on, in that darkness, it is seen. It is visible. It dispels the darkness 
because it is by its very nature light that puts away darkness. It is meant to be seen. It will be seen. And that's the first part of this metaphor. Light must be seen. And so if you are truly a believer, truly in the kingdom, then light will shine out of you. That's the idea of the city on a hill. You can't mask the light of the city. Now, it's going to use a second metaphor that talks about the foolishness of lighting something and then covering it. But you can't cover a city. The idea there is it will be seen. And true believers, as they are living as kingdom citizens, will be seen. And I think perhaps, this, and this may, this may come in, in the form of merely application, right? but I think, I think drawing along with this metaphor is the idea that on a, a city on a hill has what? Multiple lights. There's just one little light sitting on top of the hill. The city shines brightly and cannot be hidden because of all the light that is gathered there. And I think the picture is clear of the disciples and of the work that they would do and of the work of the church as it goes forward. But the church ends up being that city on a hill. An individual functions in that way, but even more powerfully as we come together as the church because you are not meant to simply operate on yourself, to simply shine the light on your own. You were meant to be gathered together with other believers and that light shines increasingly brighter as we all live according to the light that God has placed within us. We put that together as a cumulative light that shines to a darkened world and ever increasingly as the church grows in strength and power. And it does that only as each individual lives according to the, the economy of the principles of the kingdom that we've already been discussing. So for our church, to truly be a light on a hill. Each one of us must be living the light of Christ, but we become increasingly brighter to every person that we add that does that, as we do that increasingly more ourselves. And this light truly cannot be hidden. God will accomplish his work through his church. One light might struggle to be visible, but many lights cannot be missed. So the light, true believers, will be seen by the world. So the nature of light is that it will be seen. I think that's the idea of the first metaphor. The city on a hill will be seen. It will emit light that the world will know. And that means that true believers will be seen by the world. In essence, you can't hide that if you're a true believer in its, in its entirety anyway. But then he, much like the salt that is salty, he then, and he said, well, if it becomes tasteless, then in that area, it's worthless. Well, the same way, this, the nature of light, if you in any way dim it or cover it, then in that sense or in that case, light is not being effective. And that would be ultimately foolish. Just as it would be foolish to take your salt and put impurities in it so you can't taste it, so it is foolish to take light. Its very nature is to shine and demonstrate who Jesus is and to cover it again with worldliness to cover it with ignorance, with foolishness, with sin. Doesn't it make any sense? It's exactly opposite to what we're supposed to do as the light. He says, verse 15, nor does anyone light a lamp and place it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And, and this metaphor is pretty obvious to us because we have light all over the place. You don't walk into the room and flip on the light and go, wow, that's bright. And then go get some you know, black plastic trash bags and cover it up. I mean, just don't turn the light on if you're going to do that, right? Leave it off. Don't turn it on and then cover it. That's all I did. You, you, God didn't bring light into the world. He didn't make you the light of the world just so you could be covered up. It's foolish for you, sinful for you ultimately, to cover it up. It makes no sense. So I guess there's lots of negative points I could bring to bear here. And this is the true believers must be seen by the world. So the nature of light is that it must be seen. That's number two. And true believers must be seen by the world. See, again, I could, I could bring all kinds of convicting things to bear, which you probably are thinking of plenty in your own mind. 
How is your light darkened? Anywhere that you're sinning, then the light is not seen most brightly. But I'd like to make this positive. And the sense is this, you're the only one that can shine. And you have been given the ability to shine. And you have the message to proclaim. And you have the life that you can live because the Spirit of God is inside of you. So shine it. Don't put the basket on top of it. Don't in any way dim it by sin because the light is necessary for the world to be saved. Jesus left you here to do that. You can't say, well, I'll darken my life with sin and Christ will do that because Christ is supposed to do it through you and he does it through his church. So this is your precious privilege. I'm convinced that you coming here this morning are thinking, we want to be salt. We want to be light. That's what we want. And I want to encourage you that you can be, you are, you must, just don't let it be dimmed by sin. Instead, proclaim that light everywhere and in every way because you are the only ones that can do it. Think of this. The world is excellent at solving physical external problems, isn't it? If, I have a, if my car breaks down, I can take it to someone who can fix the car, and I'm thankful for that. If my heart breaks down, I can take it to someone who will fix the heart. That is my physical heart. But if my inner man has a problem, if I'm dominated by sin, if I'm dead in trespasses and sins, there is no place in this world I can go to get it fixed. Nowhere. Oh, I know what the world says. And say, we'll, we'll give you our psychology. We'll deal with your inner man. We'll replace spirituality with human reason applied to the inner man. We'll fix the inner man. Well, again, the world is very good at fixing the external man. Very good. The world is absolutely inept at fixing the inner man. It's impossible. I mean, think of all of the hopes that, that came about as psychology comes to bear in the turn of the century and all of these new ideas and new thoughts. This is how we'll fix the inner man. Man's not really sinful. We just got to give him the right things to think about. Give him the right environment. Pick any philosophical and, and psychological system that you want. They've all ended in what? Absolute failure. Man has gotten more. His technology only gives him more ways to sin. He has more isms and diseases of, of the inner man and of the mind than he's ever had before. Our mental hospitals are full. And really, it's all boiled down to this now. More and more in our psychological world, it isn't what system of psychology will fix you. It's simply what medication are you taking? That's the best we can do. Every, every different system, people will try it. It doesn't work out. So essentially, the question you're asked, no matter where you go, a Skinnerist who's going to do behaviorism, a Freudist is going to say, well, it's all about your id or your ego, all the new things that are out there. Adler will fulfill your basic needs. Essentially, the first thing they're going to ask you to walk in is, what's your medication? And how can we tweak that to make you feel better? It's the best they can do. They can try to mask the symptoms. Only you, only believers have the light, that which will truly set people free. No one else can do it. Only you. That's the whole point here. You're the only salt of the earth. You're the only light of the world. Don't let it be darkened. Don't let it become tasteless because then the world dies in sin and they spend eternity in hell. Don't be darkened. And that's my encouragement to you. Be the light of the world. Be what you actually are and don't let it be covered by any sort of worldliness, any sort of sinfulness. Work hard to put those things away. And then the last really where there's both, I believe both these metaphors come to their fruition. He stays with, Jesus stays with the illustration of light, but I think it, it sums up both of the metaphors. Kingdom citizens are to do good works. And first here, good works equals shining the light. And I would say good works also equal tastefulness of the food. They're the salt. You know, some of you are thinking, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, good works. Because see, good works have gotten a bad name. What, are you talking work salvation? 
Are you saying are we get saved by our works? I'm not saying that. Are we saying, well, you know, you just got to do lots of good things and self-help and, and, and go to other countries and do lots of nice things and help people? I'm not saying that either. Because good works are distinctively Christian works. And so first we have to define what it means when our text, glance down at it again, verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. That's why we say that shining of the light equals the good works. That's the practical nature of what's going on. But here's what good works are. And again, I just have to summarize it for you. You'll have to do your study on good works in scripture to make sure that I'm right. All right. And it's a, it's a vast study. Good works are much commended in scripture, by the way. Good works, a good work is this. A good work is any action, whether internal or external. See, we think of good works only as helping the little old lady across the street, going to help the orphans. No, good works are both internal and external. It is a good work to think rightly. It's a good work to be rightly motivated. It's a good work to then live that motivation out and help someone with particular parameters. So any action, whether internal or external, which is motivated by God, empowered by God, directed by God, out of love for God and for the glory of God. That's a good work. Pretty tight definition, isn't it? Only believers can do that. And I'll read the definition again. Any action, whether internal or external, that is motivated by God, empowered by God, directed by God, that would be the Spirit of God working through the Word. It has to be according to Scripture. Out of love for God, anything you do that isn't truly loving, that is the true love of the Bible, is not a good work. And for the glory of God. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's internal and external. Everything that is good, everything that is right, everything that is true, only those things are good works. It flows out in our thinking. It flows out in our words. It flows out in our actions and in our motivations. And they have to be all tied together. You can't just speak and have it be good words, because, good works because you're supposed to speak and live. You can't just live it out and say, well, that's a good work because you have to tie it to the testimony of who Jesus is and that's to glorify God. These things are all tied together. You don't do all of them at exactly the same time every time. That is, I always have to speak and then do some practical good work. Sometimes I speak that in of itself, testifying to the nature of who Christ is. Sometimes I work, but ultimately they have to be tied together. The testimony giving evidence of the reality of what, what the physical actions are accomplishing. Romans 13, 11, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now our salvation is nearer to us than we once believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. And then at the end, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good works. Putting on the Lord Jesus, how he thinks, what he would say, how he acts, what he's motivated by. And all of that is what? to the glory of God, because that's what our text says, that we do good works, which is, is equated to the shining of the light, that we do that to be seen by men for the glory of God. So good works are to be seen by men and good works are to bring glory to God. Let me cover those last two somewhat together, but I don't want to skip over when it says, right? So do these things, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see this is vital. For true believers cannot go out of the world, as it were, and say that they are glorifying God or actually accomplishing good works. Monasticism will not work. It is not a good work to go cloister yourself in some separate society, in some special homeschool group, or, or some other thing that says, we're just going to work here together, we're going to protect ourselves, and so no one will harm us. 
That's what the monastics did. And we can serve God best when we have no outside influences and we will somehow be more spiritual as a result. They weren't and they didn't because they weren't glorifying God by having their good works seen by men. And men, again, is the unbelieving world, essentially. Those who don't know him. Our works, our lives are to be lived out before the unbelieving world so that they may see the reality of who Christ is and long to glorify God. We have to stay in the world. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you proclaim those excellencies by speaking the truth of the gospel and living the reality of the gospel combined together everywhere you are. When you're at McDonald's, when you're sitting at Chick-fil-A, when you're doing your work, when you're at home with your children, when you're, when you're running an orphan run, doesn't matter what you are doing, the distinctive taste and, and sight of Christ are to be visible for all to see for the purpose of their seeing how great the God you serve is. Because some of you might be thinking, now wait a minute, a little further on in Matthew, it says you're not supposed to do your works to be seen by men. And I completely agree if it stops there. Again, notice our text. It says your works are to be done so that men will see them and glorify God. Works that are done and when it stops with only being seen by men, those aren't good works at all. That's sinful self-righteousness. Matthew 23, 5. Speaking of the Pharisees, but they do their deeds, not good deeds, they do their deeds to be noticed by men for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels on their garments. If it only goes that far, it's nothing but sinful self-righteousness. But if you are doing the works you do so that the world will see the greatness of your God as you testify and live out his character and nature, that is your calling. That is salt and that is light. You don't do that by hiding. Some of you moved to Tennessee to hide. It's nicer here. It's the Bible Belt. I guess that's not, in, that's not inherently wrong. But who will minister in California? Do they not deserve the salt and the light? Do they not deserve to hear? Ariel was in India. They, it's dark. It's black there. It's not much darker or blacker in Boston or in Maine. We cannot hide from the world. We are to permeate it. You are to be strong enough. See, the church is where you hide, as it were. And you don't hide from the world. You come to be equipped to go out into it. The church is where you are strengthened. The church has to be strong so that you can work your job and still live for Christ. The church is to be strong so you can go to, to your college campuses and live for Christ. Not to escape from those things. You are to pursue living your life in the midst of the world. Some are evangelists. They do that full time. But most of you are not called to do that. You're called to stay in the job that you have been given working day to day with unbelievers who need the salt and need the light. And if you are gone, who will tell them? Who will be the salt? Only believers can. Who will be the light? Only you. Christ isn't going to go speak to them apart from you. They're not going to get some vision or some other thing that will happen to them. It's you. Don't retreat from your jobs. Don't run from your college campuses. Enter those places strong because you're in a strong church that equips you to do your work and then come back when you're battered and wounded and bruised and, and receive the strength you need and go out and do it again. I mean, do you understand that in that way, I'm a second line worker? I appreciate your prayers for me and, and I seek to engage the world as best I can and I, I do those things as much, but I'm a second line worker. You're first. 
Every day you walk out into a world. I walk into a world where I work with Ron O'Dell. That's a pretty great place to be. And I work with Aaron West. That's cool. You guys don't walk into that world. You walk into the world where you serve an unbelieving boss who can't stand you and hates Christ. You see, I'm seeking to equip you that you can accomplish that. It's no excuse for me not to be in the world. I'm not saying that. And I seek to do that as, as best I can. But by its very nature, your work in, in many ways is more dangerous and harder than mine. And guys, by the Lord's grace, I understand that. And so my prayers are for you. And, and that's the reason I preach and teach as I do, because you desperately have to have it. Not that I don't, but you must. Because you get this every single day as you wrestle with an unbelieving world, to, in, in many ways, to an extent that is greater than I. And so all that you do is to then bring glory to God. That's your motivation. That's what you're pointing people to. First Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Well, why? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation, either recognizing that God is just when he comes to judge them because you lived righteously, or turning to Christ before he comes so that they glorify him when he returns. It can be either one of those. That text could probably go either way. That's who you are to be. And that's why I'm encouraging you with this, not hammering you with this. You guys are doing this all the time. That's why you're coming here, because you want to receive the, the equipping that you need. So I applaud you. I'm not hammering you this morning. I'm saying, go out and do this very thing that you long to do. That's why you're here. Do it. That's what Jesus is saying. Be the salt. Be the light. And as you do so, when it is your desire to glorify God and not have some kind of self-righteous focus on yourself, then he is, in fact, honored. Glorify is very strong. It is to give God, to ascribe to God the splendor and honor that he so richly deserves. That comes first when people bend the knee in receiving Christ as Savior. And then it comes in an ongoing way as they live for him, as they have ongoing sanctification, and they accomplish the work that he gives to them. I think two things I would comment on your Father who is in heaven. First, let's go with your Father. He is the one who bought you who placed you into his family, who gave you the privilege of being his child, why wouldn't you want to glorify him? As a wicked, dead unbeliever, he said, I want you in my family. And before the beginning of time, he chose you and called you and drew you to himself through the gospel. Why wouldn't you want to proclaim the greatness of father, your father? But notice also it says, who is in heaven. I think two implications there. One, that he is great and worthy. He's the king of the universe. He dwells in heaven. He doesn't dwell on earth. He's not, he doesn't dwell in, in houses made with hands, as it were. He's in heaven. That's where he's localized his presence. He's everywhere. I know that. My doctrine of omnipresence is strong. But he's localized there because that's, that he's, he's the God who rules the universe. And he is, is found, seen on the earth through whom? You. He's in heaven. That's part of it. It's your job to do. And they have to see you to glorify him because he's there, as it were. But I think also, additionally, this, as, as you perform that, as you, as you accomplish the work God has given, you will bring, as it were, the, the nature of the Father, His character that can't be seen. You will bring it to people so they can see His very character that is worthy of worship, that is worthy of repentance and faith. The goal of having our good works seen by men is that they may, re, re, may realize that the reason we do our good works is because of the greatness of the work of God in us. 
and that our desire is to demonstrate the glorious nature of the one who saved us. And so my prayer is that as you, as you consider this message, that you will be contemplating every area of your life, everything that you do, when you talk on the phone, when you drive the car, when you, when you discipline your children, when you talk to someone in, in, you know, in Kroger, wherever it might be, that you will be saying, how is this tasting of Christ? How is this shining the light of who Christ is? Even if you never speak the gospel fully, that the very character of what you would do would draw people. It'd be like D.L. Moody sitting in the chair getting his hair cut. And somebody said, that's different as he speaks and as, as he lives his life. And that you would be careful in the way you work in the world, that it would remain distinctly Christian. We've had the privilege for many years of, of supporting a, a child with Compassion International, kind of a way of extending out our good works, as it were. But there's a reason we have chosen Compassion as opposed to, say, World Vision or many other organizations out there who are actively distancing themselves from evangelical Christianity and from the name of Jesus. World Vision has been doing that for about 20 years. They've slowly excised everything in their doctrinal statements and of such as it is that speaks of Christ at all. But here is the, the position statement for Compassion International who supports, you can support children through local churches. It says, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Yeah, it's different. That's tastes of Christ. It speaks of Christ. It shines Christ, as long as they continue to understand who Jesus is, I know that. But at least they will say that. Your life ought to be everything you do in Jesus' name. And then you will taste, and then you will shine, and then God will be glorified. I'll leave you with 2 Thessalonians 1, 10 through 12. When he comes to be glorified in his saints, speaking of the, the day when he will truly be glorified when he returns, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end, and this is my prayer for you, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us the great privilege of being salt and light. That you have enabled us to be tasty in a world that is, is dead they can taste nothing ultimately of what is Christ-like because they are dead in trespasses and sins. And you have given us the ability to shine the light of truth and righteousness and, and a proper relationship with you through the message that you have given to us to proclaim and through the life that you have granted us through your spirit. And I pray that you would, you would help us to live out that precious privilege, that it would be our passion to be tasty and to be bright so that the world might know that you are great and might glorify you, Father, as you so richly deserve. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, 
but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.